Please pray with me, Father. May those words ring true, not just from our lips, but from our hearts. That because of Jesus and all that he is and all that he has done on our behalf, that even in the dark nights and the deep valleys, even when we're tired and worn out and weary, we know that Jesus is our rest. We trust. And we can say, it is well with my soul. Show us that truth afresh and anew this morning from your word. May you make the word live unto us as you show us Christ in all of his grace and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And before the team leaves, I just want to ask Pastor Dave a question. What if... What if I was going to use Eric Little as an illustration this morning? What were you going to say? Well, I probably just would have read the verse and uh, then prayed, make it a really long prayer, and then, you know, there's nothing worse than than someone stealing your thought, especially when you worked for it, and then you're like, that's what I was going to say. Yes. Well, I would like to tell the illustration now of Eric Little. No, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> hey, you can, you can probably do a I'm better kidding. job. Than really, this, I'm so. kidding. <laughs> that is a great story. In fact, if you've never seen the film Chariots of Fire, I would strongly encourage you to do that. That's back when movies were still good. Um, let me remind you, we're, we're concluding our gathering this morning around the Lord's table and partaking of communion together. So if you haven't picked up a cup on the way in, they're available out in the lobby. Feel free to, to make your way out there right now and, and do that. And then I would encourage you to open your copies of the scriptures to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter 2 as we continue our study in this, which, which is the, of the shortest of the four Gospels, but it's the hardest hitting, man. It's, it's fast moving. I love that. And if you're a guy who likes action films and action movies, Mark is your guy. Because we're constantly moving from scene to scene. And while you're, while you're turning there in your Bibles, let me ask a question. Are you tired? Are you weary this morning? You know, April has been a crazy month. Um, April is supposed to be the beginning of spring. Obviously, somebody forgot to tell spring. It should have sprung already. And that makes us, you know, that has an effect on us physically, has an effect on us emotionally. You know, the end of school is just around the corner. Our teachers here at Schaumburg Christian, they're fighting hard to finish the race well. And students, we have a number of students here in the congregation. And, you know, um, you're, you're coming down to the end of the school year. You've got, you've got end of school year projects. You've got finals. Sorry to do that to you on a Sunday morning. And we're tired. We're weary. Parents, with spring comes activities for our children. We're running them, what seems to be everywhere. You know, there's, there's loving your spouse in the middle of seasons like this. There's, there's work, long, hard days at work. The frenetic pace of life can just beat us down. And in the midst of that, we feel so weary and, and tired and, and weak. 
I say to you this morning, there is good news for you in Mark 2 and Mark 3, where Jesus says, find your rest in me. Not just rest for today or tomorrow or next week. Find your eternal rest in me. That's Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to look at it later this week, where we learn that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is our eternal rest. He has done all the work. There's nothing left for us to do. He has won our eternity in heaven when we simply rest in him and trust in him. And so we can say this morning, Jesus, thank you. I rest in you. And when you know that, it has a radical, practical effect on your everyday ability to rest. It doesn't all depend on you. Jesus has done it all for you. He is all we need. We can rest in him. Let's read about that, about the Sabbath, which, well, let me read the text and then I'll make some comments on it. Beginning in verse 23 of Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, that is the Pharisees, were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. His hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy Jesus. This is the word of our God. Now, I realize Excuse me, I realize that for some of you this morning, this is your first or second time here at Bethel on a Sunday morning, and you may be thinking to yourself, how does Jesus strolling through a grain field and coming into a synagogue really apply to me today? I mean, not many of us probably this morning came to church through a grain field, right? And probably not many of us are in a synagogue this morning. We're in a church, and honestly, we're in Schaumburg, Illinois, so we're half a world away and two centuries away, not centuries, millennia away from this synagogue in Israel. So what gives? How does this apply to me? Well, let me show you. Um, how many of you are really fans of the red light cameras in Schaumburg and Hoffman. You like those? I mean, you wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you for red light cameras. I'm so thankful for them. Back in the fall of 2019, when our family was in conversation with the search committee of this church, 
about the potential of coming here as your lead pastor. We made our first visit here to Schaumburg, and while we were trying to find the way to our hotel, I made a right turn on a red light, which in most of America, you are free to do, except at the corner of Roselle and Higgins. Uh, You know where I'm talking about? And so two weeks later, all the way down in little Jerseyville, Illinois, I received a love letter (laughs) from the Hoffman Estates Police Department. They were wanting to express their appreciation to our family for visiting their community, investing our money in their community, and they showed me their appreciation by demanding that I pay a $100 ticket for making a right turn at that red light. Now, when I opened the letter, I was like, this has got to be a joke. I am a law-abiding American citizen. I don't run red lights. I might run my share of yellows, but not red lights. There is no way that there is a no right turn on red sign at that intersection. There is no way. And so I went to my computer like any good pastor would do, and I, I began typing out an official letter of appeal. I was going to put the Hoffman Estates Police Department on notice that they were enforcing a law on on an intersection that was not posted. And when I went to include the case number in my letter, I noticed something. Not only had they included a picture of our car and license plate, but they had included a picture of the no right turn on red sign posted on that stoplight pole. I couldn't believe it. And immediately I thought, that's Joanna's fault for not seeing it. (laughs) But in all honesty, there went my defense. It's like they knew what I was thinking. And so I deleted my letter and I wrote the check. You say, what's the point of the story? Here it is. This text in Mark shows us our guilt and our need for grace and Jesus. Our need for Jesus to pay the ticket for us for all of our law-breaking. You see, the laws of God, which we often refer to as the Ten Commandments, are that red-light camera that shows us our law-breaking and our need for Jesus. The Jesus who is good. The Jesus who is kind. The Jesus who is merciful. The Jesus who says, come and find your rest in me. Because he keeps the law. When we can't. And he dies to save us from the consequences of our law breaking. So don't be fooled. This text isn't really about grain fields and synagogues or red light cameras. It's about Jesus doing for us and providing the rest for us that the law could never do. The Ten Commandments can't do it. You see, laws don't reward us when we keep them. They only pronounce our guilt when we break them. I know that because there have been dozens of times that I haven't turned right at that red light over there. But I've never received a congratulatory note from the Hoffman Police Department that included a $100 check celebrating my law-keeping 
You see, laws don't reward righteousness. They reveal our sinfulness. And that's why Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 in the Bible says this, for by the works of the law. So your obedience, you're doing good things, doing what God said in the Ten Commandments. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified. No human being will be saved. You can't be saved by what you do or don't do. You know why? Because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Laws don't reward righteousness. They reveal sinfulness. And that's why the big idea here in this text is that Jesus is God's good and loving solution to our sinfulness, giving us rest from the condemnation the law says we deserve. It's Jesus doing what the law could never do. And it all begins in this text with Jesus and his disciples walking through fields of grain on the Sabbath. Now, we don't know where they're headed, but we do know that they aren't alone, Jesus and his disciples, because the Pharisees, like the paparazzi, are stalking Jesus. When some of his disciples then decide that they're going to pluck some heads of grain and pop them in their mouths, these guys are away from home. They're hungry. They're guys. All right, they're a group of real guys like us guys. We get hungry. We're away from home. We're hungry. There's no Texas Roadhouse nearby. And so they're thinking to themselves, listen, all we have here is, is this grain as we walk through the field. In fact, God said in the Old Testament, if you're walking through your neighbor's field, you can pluck some of the grain and eat it. You just can't take a sickle to it and harvest it. All right? But the Jewish leaders here, the Pharisees, they go off. Hey, you guys, you can't do that. You you can eat on the Sabbath, but you can't work on the Sabbath. And when you pluck that grain, you're harvesting, you're winnowing, you're farming. And in our book, the Pharisees' big black book, that is sin. Because it's work. Now, I want you to notice here that the Pharisees are interpreting the letter of the law without acknowledging the spirit of the law. Because here's what God said about the Sabbath back in Exodus chapter 35, verses 2 and 3. Here's what God says. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. So this is a serious law. This is a big deal. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So God says two things about the Sabbath. One, don't work. Two, don't kindle a fire in your house. That's it. And then along come the Pharisees and they decide that what God has said isn't good enough. And so they take a good Sabbath law and they turn it into a a set of crushing rules. They have their little black book, and they've added to what God has said. And here are some of the rules they instituted about the Sabbath. Here are some of them. You can walk 99 yards on the Sabbath, but not 100. I always thought to myself, listen, what if you've walked 99 and you're not back to where you came from? Do you stop mid-step? You couldn't carry anything that weighed more than a dried fig. Or... 
anything that weighed more than half a fig if you carried it twice. I'm not kidding. These are real laws. If you threw an object into the air with your right hand, it was okay to catch it with your right hand, but not your left. That was a sin. A tailor couldn't carry his needle. A scribe couldn't carry his pen. You couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath. And all the boys in the auditorium this morning are like, yes, right? And you couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath because water may inadvertently drip onto the floor, which could be interpreted as washing the floor. A radish couldn't be left in salt because that would make it a pickle. And that's work. Women couldn't look into a glass or they might find a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. Guys, you were okay because you don't care about the gray hair. It was also utterly ridiculous. And that's why Jesus answers the Pharisees' accusation here by telling them David's story from 1 Samuel 21. When David is being hunted down by King Saul and he and his guys are on the run from Saul and they're tired and they're hungry and they come to the tabernacle and Ahimelech the priest allows them to eat the bread of presence. Now, to us, that may not sound like it's a big deal. It's just a dozen loaves of bread for a bunch of hungry guys on the run. But it was a big deal. Because the bread of the presence was a picture of God's provision for and his presence with the 12 tribes of Israel. Therefore, 12 loaves of bread. Those loaves were replaced once a week. And only the priest could eat the leftover loaves. Nobody else could, period. God said so in Leviticus 24. But when David and his men need food, Ahimelech, the priest, says, take the bread for you and your guys. And Jesus right here says, that was perfectly okay. When human life is at stake, there are exceptions to the Sabbath law. And that's because the point of the Sabbath law is to bless people and not burden people, to save life and not take it. And so listen, you can't add to the letter of the law without killing the spirit of the law. And that's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, guys, you get the Sabbath practice wrong Because you get the Sabbath purpose wrong. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. You see, God's restriction on work is a gift. It's his good permission for people to take a day of rest and worship. And so the Sabbath principle isn't a limiting thing. It's a freeing thing. Now, let's just be careful here. Because I don't think what Jesus is doing here is, Jesus is not saying the Sabbath, that's old school, and I'm new school, so hey, let's just forget about the whole Sabbath thing. No, Jesus here is not overturning the Sabbath principle. He's telling us the why behind the Sabbath principle. It's purpose. You see, the Sabbath isn't just the fourth of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is a timeless life principle that goes all the way back to creation. It isn't just a law. It's grace. It's God's good gift to us because he knows two big things about us. Number one, he knows the limits of our strength. He knows that we aren't omnipotent creatures. 
And he knows that we will face in this world a real temptation to work 24-7. Because that's what our world tells us. And God in his mercy gives us a day where without being lazy, we can rest from our work. And so maybe, maybe the application for some of you here this morning is just that. You've been trying to do what God never built you to do. Everything with you is about work. Your family suffers, your wife suffers, your husband suffers, your kids suffer, your worship suffers. You come to church on a Sunday morning and you're fighting to stay awake. Maybe the application for you is just stop working so much. Take this Sabbath principle as God's grace to you and take a full day of rest. You have God's permission right here. Celebrate His grace and incorporate rest into the weekly rhythm of your life because God knows something else about you. He knows that worship is a war for you. He knows that worship is something that all of us have to fight for. And so it's important that we build into our week a day when we leave other responsibilities behind and join with others in worshiping him. That's grace. It's for our eternal good. But when we turn the Sabbath into a crushing set of rules, we distract from the purpose of the Sabbath of rest and worship. Listen, listen carefully, please. Bethel, please hear me when I say this. When we make lesser things the main thing, we inevitably make the main thing a lesser thing. When it's all about rules, it's not about worship. And that's why Jesus says here, boys, what you need to understand is that you're criticizing the lawgiver. Boys, read your Bible. You remember the Old Testament when Daniel talked about the Son of Man? That's me. I'm the one who rested on the seventh day of creation, not because I was tired, but because I was setting a pattern. I was setting an example of the Sabbath. I built the need for rest into the very fabric of this universe. Trees rest. They go dormant in the winter. Bears rest. They hibernate in the winter. And when I knit together the human body, Jesus is saying, I wove into it the need for rest. You believe that? You get that? This isn't a restrictive law. It's a life-giving, rest-giving, worship-giving principle. A universal life principle that predates the Ten Commandments. So as the creator of the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I say to you Pharisees, it's about the spirit of the law. So stop making it about the letter of the law. But the Pharisees, as you know, will have none of that. None of that kind of talk from Jesus, especially when Jesus enters a synagogue on the Sabbath where there's a man there with a withered hand. 
Now, that's a big deal. Because lame people and diseased people and people with a withered hand are not welcome at the synagogue. They are considered unclean. They're considered cursed by God. The Jewish religious leaders would stand at the door and not let these people in. So when there's a man with a withered hand who shows up at the synagogue on this Sabbath day, we need to ask why. And actually, I think Mark gives us enough clues here that we can determine the why. It appears here that the Pharisees give this man a special invitation to enjoy the privilege of worship by joining them in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Can you imagine this man's joy, the joy in his heart, when for the first time, and we don't know how long, his withered hand won't keep him from public worship? In fact, he'll have a front row seat in the synagogue right up there with the Pharisees who are watching Jesus like a hawk, scrutinizing his every move. Because listen, when you're all about rules and regulations, that's what you do. You're watching. Always watching. Like that red light camera. And you're not on the lookout to bless others. You're on the lookout to condemn others. That's the Pharisees here. They're hanging around in the synagogue, hanging out with Jesus, waiting for the opportunity to accuse Jesus. And this man with a withered hand will provide them the perfect opportunity. This man has been invited by the Pharisees more than likely, but he isn't here because he's loved and cared for by the Pharisees. He's here as a pawn of the Pharisees. He's been invited under false pretenses. He's here as bait to trap Jesus. Either Jesus will honor the Sabbath and leave this man's hand withered, or he will have compassion on this man and heal him and break the Sabbath law. Jesus can't win. Or can he? Because Jesus says to this man, come here. And Jesus then, in the middle of this synagogue, stands with this man in his need, in his brokenness. And Jesus says, look. Look at this man, everybody. See his need. See his situation and his condition. And tell me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To kill To kill life or to save life? And the question just kind of hangs in midair because the Pharisees aren't going to respond. There's nothing but silence as Jesus looks around at them, which is code for he makes eye contact with each and every one of them. He isn't just peering into their eyes. He's staring into their souls. And he's angry. Not sinfully angry, but righteously angry because their hearts are hard, ice cold, uncaring, unloving, because that's what an infatuation with laws and rules and little black books does to you. You scrutinize and then you stigmatize and eventually you demonize. 
Because an infatuation with the law doesn't make you caring and gracious and merciful. It makes you intolerable and hateful. And that angers Jesus. But it can't stop Jesus. And so Jesus says to this man in front of everyone, stretch out your hand. That's the one thing this man can't do. If it were anyone else but Jesus, we would look at whoever was making this statement and and this command and say to them, what are you thinking? You talk about embarrassing this guy. It'd be like us walking by and, and knowing this man's hand is withered and saying, hey, just wave back. But it's not just anybody who tells this man to stretch out his hand. It's Jesus. And the one thing this man can't do, suddenly, all at once, he does. His hand is restored immediately, completely, instantly. He's got a brand new hand. But rather than rejoice with this man, the Pharisees just up and leave this man. And Jesus, they walk out. I can imagine wry smiles spreading across their faces because Jesus has stepped right into their trap and bam, they've got him. Jesus just healed on the Sabbath. And when you're all about the letter of the law, that's not a misdemeanor. That's a capital offense. And so the Pharisees get together with Herodians, a group of guys they don't like, Because this is a group of guys who's loyal to Rome. And the Pharisees join with the Herodians to hatch a plan to destroy Jesus. Because as the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Jesus is the enemy. Jesus will die. But wait. Did Jesus really break God's Sabbath law? Or did Jesus just do the impossible by taking on a no-win situation and coming out on top? Can Jesus show mercy to this man and heal him while still honoring the Sabbath? Yes, Jesus can. And yes, Jesus does. Because remember, it's about the spirit of the Sabbath. The spirit of the law. And Jesus, all he does here, notice, all he does is speak for words. Let me ask you, is it unlawful to speak on the Sabbath? No. But there is power in Jesus' word. So much power that Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that we are experiencing the word of, or the power of Jesus' word this morning. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's the only reason all of us are holding together this morning. That's the only reason we're staying in our pews this morning. Because Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. All Jesus does is speak the words, stretch out your hand. But for those words, Jesus will die. You may want to make a little note in your Bible. 
Because right here is the very first time that the Pharisees go public with their plan to kill Jesus. Jesus will die. Why? Because he stands with this man with a withered hand. And when Jesus dies, he will lay down his life for this man. But Jesus won't die as a lawbreaker. He'll die as a lawkeeper in place of lawbreakers. And in doing that, Jesus will do for us what the law never could. Now listen carefully because I believe here is the theme of this text. This is the underlying truth that's really driving this whole text. Listen carefully. The law, the Sabbath law, does not prohibit this man from stretching out his hand on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath law cannot enable this man to stretch out his hand on the Sabbath. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do what the law can't do and heal our broken, withered, sinful hearts forever. It's always and only Jesus. Now, one of the frustrations in preaching is that there is never enough time to say everything you want to say. Everything you feel like you need to say. And so I've got to leave some things unsaid this morning because I initially had three takeaways for us. Like, the grace of Jesus enables us to obey Jesus. Listen, this man, this man couldn't stretch out his hand until Jesus gave him the ability to do that. We don't obey Jesus to get grace. We obey Jesus because he's given us grace. Number two, the second takeaway I was going to share with you was that the people of Jesus are characterized by the grace of Jesus. Um, let me just ask this question. Does Bethel Baptist Church have more in common with the Pharisees or with Jesus? It's not so much what we think is the answer to that question. It's what do the people out there think when they walk in here. Are we characterized by the grace of Jesus? But the biggest takeaway as we come to our Lord's table this morning and remember his death and communion is that nobody has ever cared for you as deeply as Jesus. Jesus doesn't let anything keep him from showing mercy to this man with a withered hand. Even though it's the Sabbath, even though the, the Pharisees are breathing down his neck, he is the one who stands with us and for us in our need he is the one that God says in Philippians 4 verse 19, God will supply our every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus stands with us and for us in our every need. I say to you this morning, rest in him and trust in him. He is the one who will never leave us or forsake us regardless of, man, the Pharisees are there. Waiting to trap Jesus. To make the decision to destroy Jesus. And yet Jesus stands with this man. He will stand with us. 
never leaving us, never forsaking us, even in the, in the darkest valleys and the, uh, the deepest valleys and the darkest days. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will never want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you trust him? Are you resting in him even in the, in the dark days and deep valleys? You see, this text is about the goodness of Jesus in the face of great opposition. And not just on a Sabbath day in a synagogue, but on a Friday on a cross. It's there that Jesus stands with this man and with us and says, I can heal what's broken. I can do what the law can't. Stop working to earn your salvation and find your eternal rest, your eternal Sabbath in me and what I've done for you. So would you answer Jesus' call this morning? Would you come to him by grace alone, through faith alone? And would you say, I'm going to stop the frenetic pace of trying to do enough to be accepted by God. And I'm going to trust that Jesus did it all. And in him I can be accepted by God. Would you believe that? Would you answer Jesus' call in Matthew 11, verse 28? To come unto me, Jesus says. This is the invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You're worn out. You're worn down. You're worn thin. And just give it all up and trust in Jesus. Would you right now become a follower of Jesus? By his grace alone. Stretch out your hand, he says to this man, and gives him the ability to do that. Come to me, Jesus says to us, and he will give us the ability to do that. Come and believe on Jesus and you will be saved. And when you are and when you do, as a follower of Jesus, you will come to this table that we're coming to this morning to remember what Jesus has done for you. And when you do, you can remember that even in everyday life, in the rhythm of every week, the busy times, the hard times, the tiring times, you can still rest in Jesus. You can obey Jesus because you trust in Jesus. You can do Psalm 46 verse 10. You can be still and know that he is God. So let's come. Let's come this morning. Let's feed our souls on the grace of Jesus because we are resting not in our work, but in Jesus' work, a work that he proclaimed on the cross. It is finished. The work is done. And so in the words of an old song that Billy Graham made famous, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, And that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come, I come. Just as I am, you will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because your promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Amen.
Father, may you take your words, your truth, your life, and plant it all deep within us. Show us the grace and the glory of Jesus, the finished work on the cross. It is enough. It is finished. It is done. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. May we trust in him. You can come to Jesus right now where you are. Just The Bible says that if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you right now believe on Christ? And Christian, have you been working Because you think it depends on you. No, it doesn't. Yes, we obey. Yes, we work hard. And we work hard because the work of our redemption is done by Jesus. It's finished. But then we rest in Jesus. Make that practical. Make that personal. Stop working so hard if you are and rest in the one who gave himself for you. In Jesus' name, amen.